Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 188. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have back with us the award-winning and internationally acclaimed children's book author and illustrator, Bethany Stahl. Thank you. It sounds so fancy. I love it. <laughs> Welcome back. So you're, you, you were on, uh, and so... Bethany, last time you were on was nine months ago, and we're talking about your book, Save the Sharks. Feels like a lifetime ago now that you say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so now you're on, and there's so much has happened since you were on about nine months ago. You have, you did your self-pubby awards. That was, that was since then. You also have now launched a brand new website. And that brand new website is, you know, your, your new BethanyStahl.com. But you also have selfpubby.com. So, and yeah. I, remember I, might have, I remember I might have asked you last time you were on, but when do you sleep? Because you are always constantly doing something. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still, still not sleeping. That's the thing. <laughs> but one day, one day. There's hope so, for a retirement, I think, one day. <laughs> so you just came out also, you just recently, a couple of days ago, as of this recording, you published Save the Air. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But do you want to kind of give our readers, well, our readers, our, our viewers and our listeners, a little bit of uh, explanation on the selfpubby.com and, um, and, um, and why people should be checking it out? So selfpuppy.com was created uh, because I do a lot of teaching about how to become an author and sort of uh, putting together classes based on everything I've learned. But those classes mm. have never had a home and they've never had a system that has been organized enough to sort of go step by step with lessons, downloads, um, guides, things to read, things to watch. So wow. finally, this website um is available to learn those classes and what's really cool about this site is you when you get the course you have lifetime access and wow. i can update them all the time so information in the publishing world changes by the second so whenever <sighs> things like that change uh, i'm able to update the course for you to refer back to. And I'm someone who refers back to my own notes every single time I publish because somehow I forget something every time. So <laughs> it's really good. I love the lifetime access aspect of it just because it's always good to have a reference there right. just to double check even when you're a pro. <laughs> right. So so for those, so for also because you do also have a Patreon page as well. Yes. And your Patreon page, you have different levels. You have your your the archive level, the self pub, um, the self pub squad. Uh, so, so the, so the question that would be on my mind now would be, so what are some of the benefits that somebody would get through the self pubby site as compared to someone being on your Patreon page? 
Yeah, so Patreon is really designed for individualized help. And uh, Patreon still has access to some of the resources on SelfPubby, but the benefit to SelfPubby is that it's completely organized in a step-by-step format with uh, lifetime access. So there's no subscription fee like there is with Patreon. Uh, but Patreon still is absolutely amazing. Um, I share, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff that's happening in the mm. real world. Um, so things of that sort uh, that you're not going to get in the classes as well as individualized help. But if you don't need that and you only want classes, then you can definitely benefit and uh, probably save on self puppies. So yeah, wow. too cool. Okay. Uh, so on this, on the self there's also a link to your self puppy awards, which you launched early, earlier this year as of 2022. Yes. So these are for a uh, second year now uh, that it's going to be for self-published authors um, and it is open now. I have not yet advertised it to the majority of uh, everybody yet because we don't have set in stone judges. So once the judges are set, I will definitely start sharing it more, but everybody can submit now if they are ready. So we've already had a bunch of submissions. So I'm really excited. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so fun. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. So Bethany, how long are submissions open for, for the self-pubby awards? So submissions are open until August 31st, 2022. So wow. okay. Yeah. All right. Next month you'll hear all about it. <laughs> I got to tell it was so fun watching the self pubby awards last uh, this, uh, in 2021. That was so fun watching the, you had the whole setup I, in your, you know, your, your, you had the nice dream. You you're all dressed up fancy. And then you had this whole, it was really fun. It was really fun watching an award ceremony live on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. And I got to I got to say too, I was very inspired by your your list of winners as well. So, it was very very exciting. Now, this is as you say, this is part how does this connected to the your the selfpubby.com. You have courses here but also the awards as well, correct? Yeah, so uh, Self Puppy is designed to help self-publishers. The awards are celebrating self-publishers, so it's sort of a hub for self-publishing. Um, so, yeah. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Uh, so let's jump in and start talking a little bit about your latest book, Save the Air. Yeah, so Save the Air is all about air pollution, which is now a very hot topic and growing topic, especially in the real world as we see different things happening uh, with our air and laws regarding that. So it's important to know how we can help on an individual level. And in this book, um, Anna and Grandma from Save the Arctic are back and uh, they go and visit Cho and Mateo from Save the Bees in the city <laughs> and <laughs> learn how they can make a small difference. Okay. Now we, we talked uh, last time you were on the show, we, we were talking specifically about how to build a children's book and in the, in the importance and the layout and design and, and all that fun stuff. And so my question to you as well is um, this is, this is the, the ninth book in the series. Yes. Yeah. 
have it so, on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> so as an author and illustrator, what are some of the things that you learned from your previous books that were new and different for you in uh, book number nine? So I'm continuously learning to make sure I integrate similar elements from previous books um, and learning more how to connect the character's story and making sure that all the characters uh, keep staying alive to their, you know, true elements of each character. So keeping, you know, the continuity with revisiting Cho and Mateo in the city. Um, so we learned they were in an apartment in the city last time. But, you know, I, I think it, this book was fun to continue to play in the world of Save the Earth and uh, really keep deep diving those connections and making it all come together. Because this is called book nine of 10. So you already have a 10th one figured out. Yes, so uh, Save the Reef publishes in just a few weeks. It publishes on um, August 9th. And then that's then no more save books? Yeah, no, they're still coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> that All is right. just the next one that has been uh, scheduled. So that one will be coming uh, okay. out soon. So when you mentioned before about the elements, so so now this is being book nine, and then you're going to have being book ten of Save the Reefs. At what point do you kind of balance between children's book author and just you know meta plot storyline of as you say making sure character uh, character personalities and they kind of continue forward? Does it get to the point where the storylines or like, you know, the, the characters themselves kind of get bigger than what you can do that now it's almost to the point where your reoccurring characters have already been pre, they already have predefined for you on who's going to be showing up in the next books. Yes, completely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's definitely gotten to be really cool to where I feel like they're writing the stories themselves now. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, they do. It's definitely, um, I think everybody's kind of solidified in their own little space right now to where it is a really well-oiled machine. Right. So you are one of the more successful self-published children's book authors out there. Very often, how often do you... All right, let me timestamp this one too. All right, this one's on me. All right. How often are you seeing forums or posts in children's book author forums where people keep asking, how do I find an agent? How do I find an agent? How do I find a publisher? Uh, as somebody who's been successful in self-publishing, where do you find yourself in a role in having conversations on that? Or do you say, if somebody asks, I'll, I'll ask them, but I'm not going to tell them not to look for a publisher, for instance, or something along those lines? Yeah, uh, I am always saying that there is no wrong way to publish at all. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with going traditional or mm. um, wanting to be self-published. I... I'm a huge advocate for self-publishing, though. I, I definitely always try to make sure everybody knows it's a feasible option um, and mm -hmm. that you can be successful with it. 
So I definitely really like to share my side of it. And I, one of the most beautiful things about self-publishing for me is that you have full, complete control from concept to design to when you publish. If I get into, you know, I publish a book a month, that's, you know, the mode I'm getting into, or if I need to take a break for, you know, six months or more. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely hope everybody uh, can know that self-publishing is an option. Right. And how often do you, are you in a position to with that? Cause you're also your benefit that you have is like, not only do you write it, you also illustrate it. So yeah. not only are you a self-publishing, you're doing the marketing, you're literally doing everything, even to the point of actually, <laughs> um, you actually lay out, you do other. So then I guess my question for you is, other than having beta readers, is there anyone else that you rely on for publishing books? Absolutely beta readers and uh, without a doubt editors every single time. Okay. I use uh, two editors uh, at least per book uh, just to help with grammar and then one to make sure I you know proofread and don't make any mistakes because even though children's books are short, sure enough, <laughs> there will be a mistake in there that, you know, I've missed that the first editors missed that the proofreader catches every single time. So, so previously we also asked the question of the import, as you said, the importance of editing, the importance of having an editor. So folks that might be listening to this or watching to say, Hey, this is great. How would I find a professional editor for a children's book? Yeah. My Favorite uh, resource to find editors is the uh, Editorial Freelance Association. Uh, so it's a website where you can uh, browse and look at different editors, their specialties, the topics they like to use. Um, and a lot of times your favorite authors will uh, list editors, especially if they're traditionally published on the copyright page. So if you have a series that you love, um, you may be able to kind of take that sneak peek and see who your favorite authors are using. And uh, nine times out of 10, they have a website and will offer editing. Recently, I discovered there's, there's something that children's book authors do as well is look for comp authors, as in comparison authors. If somebody wants to say, hey, you know, I just made this book about, you know, a, a taco that is on its first day of school or something along those lines. What would be your advice on authors potentially looking for some comparative other books that would fit in their field? Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily have to be as specific as that. General themes uh, will work for comparables. Um, yeah. So to where uh, I think a lot of times, like for that example, somebody might get stuck on, well, I can't find any other taco characters, um, but you don't, you don't necessarily have to, to find, you know, comparable authors. So the type of uh, topic or the type, if you're, you know, writing in rhyme or prose, or if it's right. humorous, so kind of looking a little bit stepped back at that, you'll have a better time at finding comparable right. And I and I gotta say, because to to and that example might be no, first day of school genre books or something along those lines. What would and I love so you know full disclosure for our listeners out there. I am a member of Bethany's Patreon. Great information on there, and I have to say one of the more uh, amazing resources that uh, 
that I gleaned from your Patreon page was the breakdown or the, the, the outline of a children's book. And it was interesting that you had challenge. How would that go again? It was like challenge to overcome. Like you have to go through three challenges or four yes. challenges. Or... Yeah. So typically you have your uh, introduction of the setting. Then you have your first challenge that you have to overcome. Uh, the second challenge you overcome. The third challenge you overcome. Um, those can also be failures. So first challenge fail, second challenge fail. Uh, it depends on which works better for your story. And then uh, the final one that you make it and then um, it is done. It's real It's real nice. And I, one of my, the favorite examples of that is uh, The Little Engine That Could is a really good, simple story that follows that you try and you just can't right. do it. You try. Um, so yeah. Was that something that you discovered on your own or is that a kind of children's book 101 thing? Um, a little of both. Not all children's book authors use it and you don't have okay. to. Uh, there's sometimes that I won't necessarily use it or I will adapt it um, to different ways. But the rule of three in the middle is something that's uh, somewhat common. And even for, you know, growing outside of children's books, you still have that classical story arc uh, mm. that you'll want to follow. It's just really condensed for a children's right. book. Well, and so, you know, you know, the more, the more people dive into learning more about children's books and realize, and realize how incredibly difficult it is to write a children's book. It's because first of all, there's, there's, there's psychology involved. There's, there's archetypes involved. There's um, the readability to the point of the same thing when you you make a, a, a cartoon for a, like a children's movie, you got to make it entertaining enough even for an adult to appreciate it. Plus children don't have their own money to buy a book. You have to market also for the purchaser, which is also a, a parent or, or a loved one. What would be your advice from the marketing perspective as well as how do you market something for the person who is purchasing it but not being the end user yeah it's it's a tricky thing because as children's books you're not marketing to children they're not the ones buying it you are marketing to parents so it's really looking at it from an adult perspective and mm. giving them the information of why you need to buy this book because more so than you're selling it to adults, you're not selling it to adults for themselves. You're selling it to, for them to be kind enough to gift it to someone else. So it's even harder than just selling to a person. You're selling to somebody who needs to also be nice in return. So it, it is it is definitely trying to make the case that um, how it will help them, how it will make their lives easier uh, for my books. Uh, one of the great ways that I can market them is they're educational. So for teachers, they're great addition for uh, story lessons to help highlight and illustrate things. Um, and of course, uh, I definitely market more towards environmental-minded parents who are more involved with sciences and things of that sort to help give right. to their children. And that's a good point, too, as you're saying that. How important how important is it to for those that when you're making children's books to uh, make it either generalized or niche? What are the pros and cons of both of those? Um, if you go niche, it's the, the pro is that you can take over a market. 
The con though is you may not um, ever find your market if you go too niche. So uh, it's it's sort of finding the balance in between because of course, if you go too general, you're, you have so much competition. Uh, people might not ever find your story, even if it's the best book ever written. So right. it's sort of trying to find that middle ground of general enough for a wide audience to enjoy but niche enough to where you know exactly who is going to be enjoying your book. Right. Right. And so, uh, as of this, as of this recording, save the air came out, uh, came out, um, about a, about a week or week and a half ago, right? July 10th, it came out. Um, and so talk to us a bit about for, for those that are looking to self publish or, or, um, What's the talk about the importance of launching a book? What would be the steps on that? The launch is really important. Um, My favorite steps to launch a book is just making sure that the uh, Amazon page, if you're using Amazon, is optimized. So make sure you have a good book description, your A plus contents out there, you're in the categories, all of the back end metadata stuff is good to go. Um, But in terms of the public reaching out to people who will care about your book um, and getting press releases out there and really trying to make sure you are going out in a parade and just letting everybody you can know that you have published. And also too, how important is it to say, Hey, you know, you know what, Bethany, I, I put out this children's book. Um, do I have to make it Kindle? Do I have to make an EPUB or can I just make the physical book? Yeah, uh, there are people I, I have seen authors who are completely successful, who have never, ever, ever made an ebook version. There are authors who are successful who have never made a hardcover and only do paperback. Um, there are authors who only do ebooks. So my recommendation personally is make them available in as many formats as you can. But um, if you absolutely don't want to, uh, I have seen people be successful without it, but I do recommend if you make it in, available in as many versions as you can, uh, the audience you are capable of reaching is just so much bigger. Um, and I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If someone's saying, hey, Bethany, should I do Ingram Spark or should I do, or should I do uh, uh, Kindle Direct? So I, I always recommend both. Uh, the, the beauty is you are allowed to use them together and both have so many strong suits. And I feel like where one has weaknesses, the other one shines. Uh, so I absolutely recommend using both. Right. I'm going to say one of the things that I'm constantly in awe about you, Bethany, is that you find, you find a, a hole and then you say, you know what? Something needs to be here. I'm going to do this. So we didn't really talk much about last time you were on about your self pubby awards. I really wanted to, I want to ask you the, the origin story of the self pubby awards. So what was that niche that you saw that would, that was missing and, uh, and, and talk to us a bit about the, you know, the, the creation of it and the, the launch of it and the success of it so far. Yeah. So the self puppy awards, um, I just, feel like <laughs> there is just not enough um, uh, recognition for self-published authors. It's it's really 
hard to conceptualize how much goes into a book when you see the end product. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you published a book. Good job. Uh, but I, I don't think anybody really truly understands uh, all the time put into writing it and illustrating it and everything that goes in between and formatting and the back end st stuff behind a book always takes so long. And I know my friends are like, have you not published another book yet? And it's like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> I can't just keep pushing them out. So um, I, I wanted to make sure that other people who get it and are in this world are being awarded for their hard work. And a lot of the focus for awards goes on uh, traditionally published authors. And mm. there is just a big need <laughs> for self-published authors to be recognized and cheered on for. Right. And then, as you said, and then you came up with this idea of this, your, of your self-bubby courses. Uh, so far, there's only four, correct? Yes, there, there's going to be so many more. There's a bunch <laughs> in the works. So they will keep coming. And of course, I'm really open to uh, adapting to what everybody wants and needs. So if anybody is looking for something specific and they tell me like, oh, Bethany, I really need this. You'll see it sooner than later. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yeah, because you do have on there. So right now, for those that are for those that are listening, Right now, as of this recording, there are four courses on here, how to publish on Ingram Spark, how to publish on KDP, formatting a children's book, and introduction to Amazon advertising. And I see above and beyond formatting a children's book. Is that a true? That's does that mean there's like over 22,000 downloads of that? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's a huge topic because you know uh, the I think the thing that's frustrating for me as somebody who teaches how to do all these things is I hear time and time again from authors all over the world that they have paid an obscene amount of money for formatting and then for some reason. Um, it didn't work out. The deal fell through. And of course there are formatters out there are great. And I'm not, right. I'm not saying you shouldn't use a formatter, but something will come up to where things happen. And they're like, I just wish I could learn how to do this by myself. And I'm like, but you can, it's easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy at all, but uh, it, it's something that people can absolutely learn. And it's something that a lot of people are interested in and have joined up a lot to uh, figure out how they can format their own book. And that that is one of those courses and lessons that I reference every single time. And mm -hmm. I have templates in there. And that's one of the main things uh, people benefit from that course specifically is the templates. Mm -hmm. So they don't even have to worry about plugging in the numbers and figuring out bleeds and all that. It's already done for them. It's already there. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I know as of recently, you just relaunched, you, you, you updated your, your website. Yeah. Um, and so from those looking from a self-publisher point of view or for a children's book author point of view, um, question might come up is like, wait, do I need to redo my website? Like, am I missing something? I always follow what Bethany does. Did I miss something? So, yeah. <laughs> 
I uh, I redo my website all the time. Uh, I, I, I mentioned this earlier when we were talking. I rearrange stuff all the time. I just I'm I'm constantly trying to optimize things, make them use more user friendly. Um, just trying to make things easier for absolutely everyone. So if I ever get any feedback that like somebody couldn't find something on the site or something could be organized better, I go in there and fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you know, some people, you know, have one base website and they use it and that's fine. Um, But I try to keep mine updated, especially with how frequently I publish. It's important to keep up to date. So how important, I remember one of, one of your, one of your live streams you did with your Patreons was talking about kind of doing some website audits. What have you learned from that? What are some of the things that a, if someone is going to do a self-diagnosis of the health of their website, what would, what are the, some of the things that they should be looking at? Um, so I always like checking it out from different browsers, seeing how different browsers look on it. Um, okay. cause sometimes you'll notice somebody will talk to you and be like, oh, I'm using this browser and it's not loading properly. Um, looking at it mobily. And then of course, uh, clicking on absolutely everything on the website and making sure that is going to the right place. So there are so many times where I will see, uh, people have meant to put something that's supposed to click and it doesn't or um, it goes to the wrong thing. So just going by slowly proofreading, clicking and yeah, <laughs> that's sort so, of. So exactly. And I, and I do have to point out though that you do have on here coming soon yeah. in 2024, <laughs> save their books 11 through 15. So you already have... <laughs> Is, is this like an ongoing, do you act, it's, uh, it's almost like ask, you know, asking that question is, do you have an end series or are you just, it's going to go on, you just have 15 so far? Um, there are 15 set. Uh, after okay. that, uh, we will see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I ideally know that this series can go on forever and ever and ever, um, mm. but I, I'm sure there's going to start to be a natural point of an end. Um, so we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how far it goes. <laughs> so I have I remember, enough ideas to last for a while. <laughs> and I know we, I remember asking you this, uh, this question before too, is as a, as an illustrator and as an artist, was there something that you had to learn new how to draw for save the air and save the reef that you didn't really draw before? Yeah, cities. Um, I absolutely this one had to be a cityscape in the background. And I also had to draw pollution in the air. So it was fun getting to play around with how I wanted the city to look. Pollution in cities. That was the big thing that you had to learn how to draw, yeah. uh, learn how to draw on this one. So, so remind us as well, when you work pencil the paper but i recall you go straight on photoshop correct as you um recently uh by recently i mean like the past like probably five books it has been uh purely photoshop uh but sometimes when i'm working out a new character i still go back to pencil and paper 
just okay. to roughly sketch a few ideas and every story starts there but now that these characters um i know pretty well uh typically i can't just start in photoshop and yeah and, and so as you as you're doing that talk to us a bit about your process you script out something do you kind of like draw it off as a some thumbnail sketches of how you want to lay everything out or is it all you just kind of jump right into it yeah um i I do a little bit of both. Um, so I will separate the book out um, first by text. So I'll know what text goes on each page. And then I will look at each page and um, do a rough idea if I'm not sure of like a thumbnail sketch, but sometimes I know exactly what I want for the page. Um, and then I'll look at the entire book and just make sure I'm not repeating shapes or concepts throughout the book to just to make sure there's still movement and mm. things are changing. And since you've started, since you started uh, self-publishing, have you noticed any trends in the industry at all that didn't exist a few years ago? Um, I think I think the big trends are still uh, changing. So there's always, you know, the next big thing um, from whether it be a topic about slime or uh, unicorns or things of that sort. So those big uh, trends are still going. But other than that, uh, I think it's it's been pretty much the same. The, the competition, though, is it's getting fierce, especially with so many people uh, who are publishing. There is just the greatest amount of high quality work that has been coming out lately. I think I think everybody in the industry is sort of pushing each other up to a whole new level to where mm. that I think I think it's a good thing. I think all of our quality is slowly becoming better and changing. Right. And so what would you be a recommendation to uh, budding children's book authors and, and writers and illustrators to kind of get above the noise? What would be your recommendation? Just write what you love and just stick to that. Um, I, I always use the example of my Save the Earth series. Um, so I went to school for science. I have a background in environmentalism. Um, I have lived so many of these stories that I'm writing. Um, and it has just so happened, you know, that I will write a book that I care about and then a trend happens. So right, that happened with Save the Ocean as soon as I wrote it huge uh talks about you know ocean pollution just happened right at the same time uh save the air published on the day that there was a lot of big talks about the clean air act um so there will be something big happening around the topic of your story but trying to chase those is so difficult and while it can be done i always advise to really stand out and build longevity with you and your brand and to really love what you're writing and not get burnt out is just stick to what you love and you'll absolutely find your audience right so in other words don't write to the audience write to write to the book that you would like to read absolutely. yourself uh, and your audience will your audience will follow okay yeah was there anything that you wrote any books? I'm just kind of curious. And I think we talked about this, some of your other titles. Was there anything that you were surprised it didn't take on as much as you thought it was going to? Or, or they, were there other, other books that you were surprised they took off so quickly? 
Yeah, I I was surprised. I was not expecting Save the Ocean uh, to take off at all. Um, that one was completely by surprise. I, I wasn't planning on being an author. I, I was just, you know, having some fun in my free time. Um, and when that took off, it I made me take a look and go, huh. But uh, one of the ones that I wish took off a little bit more would have been Little Red with uh, Miko's Nutty Tales. So I I really loved that book. I and that, yeah. and uh, yeah, no, that one didn't, didn't uh, do as well online. But I will tell you in person and in school readings, that is the favorite. So I always encourage people um, not to give up if it's not the best online. So I will have books like that to where my books that shine on Amazon are not the books that shine in person. And my <laughs> books that do poorly online are the biggest hits. I, I promise that this Little Red is one of my most requested books. Um, but yeah, online, it doesn't look like it did well at all. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it goes. So, you know, online reviews and online presence in terms of books aren't everything. Right, right. Uh, advice for folks who are looking at trying to get into um, board books. How different is that scene compared to, say, uh, books for like eight-year-olds? Yeah, it's uh, board books are difficult only because uh, of the printing aspect of them. So logistically, uh, there are no print-on-demand companies currently that offer board books. Um, so that gets more into trying to find a printer and you having to store the stock of that. But um, also in terms of content, uh, you know, they're not as in-depth as a picture book per se, even though they're still picture books. Um, they can be a little more fun and absolutely... Um, designed for an even younger reader. Right, so yeah, right. those are really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to do board books. <laughs> and so one of the things too, that we talked earlier about too, is, is that now with this, the, an interactive world that we live in, that you also have available, you have an audio version, a read aloud version of your books. You also, you say you have workbooks that accompany this. Um, is this something that you feel as though is important for the, the value of the story you want to tell, or is it important also for a marketing to uh, create this more of an educational audience to too? Yeah, I, um, I was for the workbooks, I was asked uh, to create those for uh, schools, preschools who really were looking mm. for more content on that. Um, so that was definitely created by request and I think can be a really great marketing tool, especially if you are in something educational. Um, and then for the uh, animated read aloud uh, audiobooks. Um, those are just <laughs> for uh, me. So they don't generate a lot of revenue, but uh, they have the ability to reach a wide audience. And one of the things I'm really passionate about with authorship is making sure everybody has access to my books. So that way you don't, you don't necessarily have to buy it. And as long as you have an internet connection, um, you can still enjoy the story. So I definitely don't want to leave anybody out who wants to enjoy the story. And uh, those have 
done well and uh, libraries and schools will also use those versions uh, to show alongside of the book, uh, okay. which is really exciting. Great. So I wanted to ask you too, one of the things that we talked about nine months ago when you were on, um, that you're working on a novel. So really curious what the status is of this long form novel that you've been working on. Yeah, so it's uh, the first of, I think, a trilogy. <laughs> but there, it might be a saga, you know. Um, <laughs> I've kind of fallen a little bit in love with it. Um, but right now, it is in the proofreading stage. So okay. it is getting ready to uh, be done and be launched soon. But yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, on its way. <laughs> right. Good for you. So, all right. So for those that want to learn more about Bethany Stahl, author, children's author, illustrator, what's the best place could they go to then? Yeah. The best place is my website, uh, bethanystahl.com. Okay. So that's going to be the sort of hub of information that will direct you everywhere else. Um, so self pubby links on there. You can find, my pages on there, everything. Yeah. yeah. For those that are listening or listening or uh, watching the video, please, as she said, also, yeah, go to selfpubby.com. You got some great courses in there. More are coming. And also for self-published authors, this is a good time also as of this recording that as of August 31st, the deadline for submissions for your work is August 31st, 2022. And if you miss it out, uh, this can be an evergreen topic. So I'm sure the same time next year and the year <laughs> after that, it'll be around there. But this is for the 2022 Self Pubby Awards. And that is the second annual Self Pubby Awards. Yes. Right. Good. And also, I have to absolutely always go plug patreon.com backslash bethany stall that is b-e-t-h-a-n-y-s-t-h-l bethany stall has some great membership levels um, for those that are, are interested in learning more and being able to be a part of a really active uh, self-publishing community uh, please absolutely be a part of that go to uh Patreon.com backslash Bethany Stahl, all one word. So thank you so much, Bethany. You know, it's always it's always such a fun time sitting down and chatting with you. And you always have something new and exciting going on. So we still got to have you come back on to talk more when you produce, you're going to have your other books coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will be in touch in the future. And thanks for having me. It's always fun. <laughs> you're welcome. And you know what? And that is the same background we did last time too. 
Yeah, I, you know, I get in the habit of rearranging my office a lot. And this setup has been so functional for work that I have not moved it. I like habitually rearrange like every few weeks. <laughs> it's the, I'm the worst about it. But <laughs> yeah, no, I like, I like this setup. It works. I just got one of those like under the desk bikes. So I've been like riding 30 miles a day now. Really? Oh, yeah, it's, it, I'm addicted. <laughs> So do you see was this is a this is one of the things that I've uh, that you know learning about you know just like being healthy and weight loss and stuff like that um and one of the things that I was it's like you know exercise isn't for weight loss exercise is for muscles and for it's it, it's energy it gives you energy it, it produces endorphins it gets you it builds muscle but it's not don't exercise to lose weight cuz that's not what you can yeah. do that's Oh, it's it's great for like anger. You just pedal away (laughs) every time, you know, you get frustrated or if you like come up with like writer's block, you pedal a little bit and I swear it helps my brain. It's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) oh man, it's, it's been great. Um, uh, yeah. (laughs) Good for you. It's been so fun.